Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. My guest today is Ryan Barker. Ryan is the CEO of a really cool company called Barra that I know you're going to be really interested to hear more about. He is 15 years plus experience in the advertising industry with WPP and many other relevant experiences. But what he's doing now, I'm so excited for you to hear about it because he has built a platform that allows the measurement of the way customers feel about brands, about your brand, about your competitors' brands, and furthermore, allows you to drill down to understand what are some of the root cause reasons why customers feel different ways about different brands. And of course, this is a topic for anyone who's followed my work or my, read my book or one of my articles and all that. You know, I'm always talking about this concept of customer love being the most powerful and valuable asset that any business can have. And we do a lot of work around trying to understand what causes customer love and how can you inspire customer love. And a, a lot of the work that I do is frankly based on my years of experience. But what Ryan has is data, continuously updated data about specific brands. And so I'm super jealous that he has that at his fingertips and I can't wait to talk to him more about it. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience by way of introducing yourself beyond what I just said? Well, thank you, Howard. Thanks for having me. I think you, you summarized it well, 15 years at WPP and then took a stab at Startup Land. And here I am on year eight with Barra and really excited to share what we do. Awesome. So before we get into Barra specifically, because I know everyone wants to know about that, but let's just talk about the general idea that inspired Barra. And I feel like you and I are so much on the same wavelength, focusing on this area of customers' emotional connections to brands. We just talk a little bit about why you think that's important, why businesses should bother focusing on this topic and what impact it has the potential to have. Yeah. Let me back it into the problems that we had so many CMOs talk about and why love is essential. As you know, chief marketing officers have cheapened their title and they fail to justify their contribution to the bottom line. And the CMO and the CFO, they fight a lot. And so what's happened is there's been an abundance of vanity metrics. Things like look at the number of tweets, the number of share, net promoter score to say, look at the shiny object of the good stuff we're doing despite financials deteriorating. And so we saw an opportunity here to measure, manage, and maximize the relationship between audience and brands. Let me first define how we look at the world of love. We look at brand love as the behavioral and emotional connection between an audience and a brand. And, and I wanna stress the importance of emotional beyond the behavioral. A lot of people, Howard, get confused with behavioral loyalty is loyal, that's all you need. The reality is you could be locked into a telecom or a cable contract, you're a repeat buyer, you renew every year, and they would say they're loyal. Well, we know that they're not emotionally connected. And if there was a better option, they'd be out in a heartbeat. The beauty of love is that it has a lot of benefits. Things like the ability to reduce price sensitivity, the ability to try new goods and services, permission to forgive you, God forbid you mess up. You get consumers who are willing to recommend you to a friend. And where you understand the degree that someone loves with you can help inform the type of tactics that you need to manage on an ongoing basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more what you say about loyalty. There's all kinds of reasons why people engage in repeat transactions. 
And, you know, I'm fine if we want to call that loyalty, if that's the way we want to use that word in business, but then let's just not use it to refer to emotions because we've <laughs> that word is taken by a behavior called repeat transactions. I think that's 100% right. I couldn't agree more. On a practical level, when somebody starts to understand that more, what do they do with the information? Our platform and our algorithms allow us to measure any stage of development someone has with your brand by humanizing big data. So we know whether you're new to a brand, dating, in love, bored, or divorce. And that might sound cheesy, Howard, but the reality is by understanding where you fall in real time helps inform the investment required to get you to love, the pricing that you can charge to the marketplace, the amount of promotion dollars required, the degree and the features you should be putting in, some, in front of someone, how you tailor your service, and even the distribution channels. So if you think about the five Ps of marketing, product, price, or motion, place, people, where you fall in the relationship is informed by that. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Let's take a sector, and not to pick on telecom, but let's say that you have been loyal behaviorally with a provider for many years. Why is it that your telco provider is willing to offer a new prospect half price on an iPhone, but not you? You've been with them for 10 years. It doesn't it sound intuitive that you should be rewarded? You put up with them and you've been rewarding and paying them for 10 years. Well, so if you think about the human aspect of this, tailoring the tactics, the solutions you provide at stage of development should be human. And instead, what we're doing is a lot of companies are very much focused on acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And I've already got you loyal. Let me go treat the other person nicer than I'm treating you. By humanizing the data into a relationship life cycle, we know the thresholds that people are happy or getting pissed off as a leading indication. And this is the beauty of big data and econometrics. You can customize how to treat folks based on that relationship. Wouldn't you love it to know? if your partner says you're about to be in the doghouse six weeks before you're in the doghouse on how to prevent yourself from being in the doghouse. That's essentially what we're doing from a marketing perspective. Very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the platform itself. So you have big data. Can you just, why don't you just start by explaining like where does all this data sure. come from and, and what is the data on? We have a proprietary survey that's administered globally. It's a billion data points a year. I'll talk about just US, Howard, just to keep it simple. We look at a million Americans matching census on age, gender, income, region, ethnicity, and we have a real-time proprietary survey that captures perceptions on 100 metrics, 4,000 brands, 200 sectors to simply understand three things. Why do some brands grow? Why do some get sick? And how do they recover? And so you're asking, what kind of questions are you asking to gather that data? There's four buckets. The way that we would define brand love, you can't ask someone, hey, do you love the brand or not? I don't think consumers are able to articulate that properly. And how would you normalize that? So we derive it. We derive it based on four ingredients. How familiar are they with you? The degree they hold your brand in low to high regard. Is there something culturally meaningful about your proposition that tickles the heartstring? And is there something unique about you? Those four metrics are how we measure love. The second thing that we measure are the positioning elements. We believe that to properly position yourself in the marketplace, you need to have a strong purpose, emotional connection, functional connection, and experiential connection. And then the last bucket is the operational levers, product, price, promotion, place, people. And all of that is done on different audiences, whether it's demographic, behavioral, and attitudinal. 
So you're asking questions about all these different things. What is the experience? What is what are the products? Do they align? Those types of things. Yes, we get we capture perceptions on those attributes and we do it across 200 sectors. I think what's really unique about how we do this is part of the econometrics, Howard, is we look at all brands against all brands within a country. It's a zero sum game. We believe that we're all fighting for share of mind, heart and wallet. And so if we're looking at a telco or an automotive, it's not about just understanding who's the best automotive or best telco. We look at it as who's the best brand, period. Who's the most loved brand, period. And too often, if you're a CMO or a CEO and your job is to create a point of difference in the marketplace, we only look at our peers within our sector and that sort of creates a lot of box thinking. You could get so much inspiration looking two, six, 12 adjacencies away by understanding what is the connective tissue of why the most loved brands continue to outperform their competition. Yeah, absolutely. Winning digital customers, the antidote to irrelevance has been called the must-have guide to saving your company and is available now for Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books, or in hardcover. Visit wdc.ht order to get your copy today. And so when you take your scoring model and score a brand, have you taken that data across brands and compared it to more traditional financial metrics like revenue, earnings per share, those types of things? That's precisely the core part of the proposition. So our proposition isn't about how do you create love for the sake of love? We believe that the reason you build love is not only the fiduciary responsibility that we can show its contribution to sales, profit, and total shareholder return, but are you creating a purpose in the marketplace beyond making money? And by purpose, we're really excited. We have, I don't know if you know, the former CMO of Procter & Gamble, Jim Stangle, the godfather of purpose-driven marketing, the author of Grow, he's on our board and he's an investor. And we took his 30 years of experience and incorporated ways to measure purpose and made that a fundamental part of our proposition. That's great. And so are you able to show that the scoring in your love metric, that those that are scoring higher are seeing better returns? I'm curious whether you have data that shows that this idea of emotional connection is really driving the ultimate business res- results. Yes, it is the core part of our proposition. And before I share some stats, it's amazing how often CFOs or folks feel you can't really have a, a relationship with a brand. It, that's silly. Meanwhile, we can calculate through causality, not correlation, a one point of an emotional connection. How does that translate to your price elasticity or said simply the degree someone's willing to pay a premium? the degree they're willing to try new goods and services, how much forgiveness you get, how many times can you mess up before they start considering the next people. And so we have clients across 200 sectors, they all have their own financial key performance indicators. But to oversimplify, Howard, the minimum that we could share is what's a one point of love generate in terms of sales in the short term, profitability, and total shareholder return. The linkage to the economics, we've published a lot of work on both public companies where you can take a mono brand. And by mono brand, Howard, I mean 75% or more of sales of that single public company comes from a single brand. When we isolate their financials and look at the love brands versus others and their peers, the multiple you get is amazing. What blows my mind is how CMOs today are typically getting compensated on sales, which love generates. But the bigger benefits is love has a direct contribution to total shareholder return. 
It has a direct contribution to reducing price sensitivity and marketers aren't getting compensated. At least most of them are not. So love isn't a nice to have. It's an essential KPI for executives. It just so happens in most organizations, the CMO is in charge of it. But the reality is it's one of the most valuable assets in a portfolio and the CEO should be monitoring it. Yes, couldn't agree more. So let's talk a little bit about what insights you may have gotten from looking at all this data. It seems like, tell me if I've got the right idea here, you're able to tell not only what the ultimate sort of level of love is between a customer and a brand based on those four main buckets, but then also be able to see how that maps to different factors of that brand's perception. In other words, their experience of the the sales process or the, the product. What are the sort of key things that you're looking at? Think of love as the dependent variable. The objective is to grow love to achieve a business objective, sales, profit, TSR. How do you build love? You got to optimize your position in the marketplace. The elements there is purpose, emotional, functional, and experiential benefits. And once you have your position optimized, how do I operationalize that across the five Ps? Product, price, promotion, place, and people. We have a cause and effect from the business outcome, the business KPI, to love, to positioning, to levers, and it goes back and forth. I'll tell you one of the big findings now. So purpose is such a big thing today. And we have a lot of both institutional investors in Fortune 500, where marketers are saying, look, everyone knows it's important, but I'm not getting the dollars I need because people think it's a nice to have, it's not a need to have. We don't look at love and purpose as two separate things. Purpose and your position in the marketplace is one and the same. I don't know if you recall, Howard, back in the early 90s, we had the triple bottom line and there was social responsibility. And a lot of companies today still have a CSR, a customer social responsibility division. They have a tiny budget most often and they're separated from the CMO. We think that's a big disservice. Purpose and building your brain and love, it's one and the same. And the left arm needs to be talking about the right arm. But back to some of the findings. So we're able to look at separate companies who have a strong purpose and a strong brand versus those who don't. And let me read some of the stats that we have here. And this is across 120 different public companies. Brands that have a strong purpose and love outperform their peers in preference by a 12.2x multiple. Brands with a strong purpose and love have permission to command a premium price by 4.1x. They have a return on capital of 1.8 enterprise value multiple of 1.3 and enterprise value growth 4.x and we published this there's no smoke and mirrors you could go to brandpurposescores.com and see your own scores what we're doing is we're helping folks understand that purpose is a required element not only to achieve our fiduciary responsibilities but it makes it easier for brands to separate from the pack there are so many marketers that are in commodity sectors that they say look there's only so much i could do to out message my point of differentiation? Well, purpose is yet another lever. There are a lot of companies that are just beginning to scratch the surface. And are we able to articulate in a succinct fashion, what is our purpose in the marketplace beyond making a profit? That's very interesting. That's actually, those are very dramatic results, actually, in terms of the importance of purpose. So I can see how that data would help someone build their case for more investment on purpose. I'm curious between these different areas. I know one of the things that companies are always trying to do is figure out if I'm going to spend a dollar, 
you know, where's the most impactful place to spend it? I could spend a dollar improving the customer's experience. I could lower the price. I could spend it on advertising and marketing, presumably improving our positioning, assuming that the creative is good and the medium buy is good. Is there a clear hierarchy of these different things where it seems like there's certain areas where the same level of effort yields a greater result? Or is it the same across industries or, or different by industries or what any interesting patterns you've seen there beyond just yeah. purpose? No, this is great. I mean, let me start with the number one pandemic after COVID, okay? For marketers, it's price point messaging and discounting. That has become crack in the marketing world. Why? If I discount, I can get short-term sales. So right. let's keep discounting. Not realizing and not quantifying how you're not really building love. You might be conditioning behavioral loyalty. I'll keep coming as long as it's cheap, but that's not creating a nurturing relationship that reaps those other economic rewards. Well. Part of the resource allocation that we're able to show in the framework is if I were to invest in love and I can tell you which levers to pull, can I still get the same annual sales objective as discounting? But the long-term benefit is I can now increase my price. I can now reduce my marketing spend because they're with me for the right reasons. I think you're asking, is there a general lever that's more important than others? I wish it was that simple. The reality is there are more generalizations on which levers to prioritize to get to love. So let me tell you, for example, if you're creating a new brand and I were to focus on TV advertising, you'll get more bang for your buck as a brand's growing. And then you have brands that have been established. They have a strong installed base. They're number one, they're number two. I'm not saying that TV is still not important, but there are other levers like the customer experience or the distribution channels that you'll get a higher ROI on achieving this. I think one of the biggest challenges that folks are having is a lot of companies, big ones still have big budgets that would they spray and pray the marketplace and they wanna cover their bases because we all know the saying where 50% of my advertising works, I just don't know what 50%. It's, it's amazing that with big data and econometrics and software, you can now get more precise. You can have more precision focus on targeting folks who already said they're willing to try your brand and suppressing your dollars to folks that already said, I hate you. I would never try you. We can identify folks and therefore tailor our message to the right audiences based on where your relationship is with them and let the levers in the math do the dictation on the right optimization of that mix. So the data that comes out of your platform is more more of a research tool, right? Versus a targeting of specific individuals. In other words, it's not like someone's going to say, oh, here's a person, here's a customer who responded this way, and therefore we know how to target them. Is that right? In other words, it, the data is anonymized by the time that the user gets it. Is that right? We're GDPR compliant. We have the PII. It's anonymized, but you can segment them. So let me keep it simple. Who are my prospects? You go to the average company and they would define prospects as anyone in their category that's not buying from them. Well, that's simply not true. A huge portion of those people are rejectors. They hate you. They either never tried you, never will, or they used to try you and said, you disappointed me. I'm not coming back to you. We're able to identify who is the low-hanging fruit of prospects. We understand what drives love for them. And therefore, the right combination of your positioning and levers would be targeted for them. And folks can go identify those folks and tailor their message for them. That would be an example. Uh, yeah. Of one so I guess what you're doing is your software helps someone understand that this segment exists, but doesn't necessarily tell them of all the people coming to your website today, which people are in it. 
And I'm wondering then if there's anything that comes out of your research that makes it easier for a customer to figure out, to do that segmentation with the actual customer when they arrive, to figure out, for example, where they are in that love cycle from, I love your dating, love, New boredom, dating, and divorce. love boredom and divorce. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So think of it as this. If we do, and I'll use US, if we have a million census matching Americans, we could already map dots along the love curve to understand how many people are at new, how many are dating, how many are at love, how many are boredom divorce. We can then identify how do you tailor love in your positioning and levers by different stage. And now while that's only a million people, what our clients are doing is they take the PII from a, as a seed file to create lookalike audiences to map 120 million households, and then they could go tailor their messaging to those folks. If that makes ah, sense, Howard. Yes, it does. So you're you're doing more than just giving them the research result. You're actually helping them understand the like the detailed profiles of these companies that fall within these different stages of love, for example. Or it could be other things like the people that seem to be responding positively to your positioning or negatively to your positioning. You can then say, well, how do we create a lookalike audience of the people who respond, even though I as the brand don't know who those people are you can, through some mechanism of protecting that data, allow me to create a lookalike profile so I can actually run that against my own database and figure out who are the people that I need to be messaging to in a way, in a certain way, because they don't seem to be responding to my current positioning. Have I got the right idea? You definitely do. And it's less about research and more as a brand management platform where folks are constantly course correcting their tactics in the marketplace. There are people that could have a specific campaign for acquisition one for retention and one for revitalization. Like here's an age old challenge that every sector CMOs come to us with. Look, I got my core customers. I'm about well penetrated, but I got to go bring in new customers to meet my fiduciary responsibilities. How do I attract and acquire new prospects without alienating the cores? Well, if we can profile them and they're two different audiences, but we understand what drives love for one, it's not the same for others, then you can get more tactical and below the line, not a one size fits all messaging. It's the one size fits all that limits folks quite often. It's amazing how many people come in and like, who's your target? And they say, everyone, we want everyone. Well, of course we do, but very difficult. Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. Specific examples or case studies you could share, particularly anything that contains any interesting, surprising learnings you got from the data that were able to be applied? Sure. I want to keep everyone's uh, information confidential. So let me give you some that are it's across. Just, it's just you sections. and me, Ryan, here. You know, we can, uh, <laughs> no, no one's listening. I assure you, we're, we're, we're very poorly listened to podcasts. Yeah. So no one's going to hear this. Sure, Howard. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you some of the big things. So when the pandemic hit, everyone sort of scrambled to take old messaging and they say, should I just repurpose old messaging? Or I'm sure you've received in your inbox tons of emails from companies, products that you haven't purchased in two, three, four years, and they said, we're here for you. That was the go-to for everyone. And you would think from a gut perspective, well, empathy sounds like the right thing. Well, here's what our data said. Consumers see right through it. It's disingenuous. So empathy is actually not a driver of love during the pandemic, but rather competence. Showing competence showing, not screaming messaging. You could be quiet. And as long as the brand's showing competence, that carried a much stronger lever 
in both retaining existing customers, driving new customers, rehabilitating uh, former customers, then the empathy route. Interesting. I, it may be too soon for you to say, but as we kind of move into this post-pandemic period, are you seeing any trends in the data that suggest what are customers looking for now as we emerge from the pandemic? Is it very similar to what it was before the pandemic, or is there some new normal, as people are saying, that you see in the data? A couple of things come to mind here. We deal with B2B and B2C brands, Howard. We saw a lot more B2B brands think of new levers to pull such as distribution channels. So we see B2B brands now going direct to consumer because we weren't going to the retailers and they had mm -hmm. to. So they're exploring new touch points. We're seeing a lot of folks reevaluating their legacy tools that there was comfort, even though they didn't like them, to try new things. So there's a lot more experimentation. I'll tell you one of the, the most painful sectors that we're finding in our database in the US is chewing gum. Well, here's why. That is an impulse buy. It's at the, the payout aisle. Well, oh. if you're not going to the grocery store, you're not buying your chewing gum. So, so now what? And you see how the messaging has begun to tailor more for the Amazons of the world. The problem is you'd buy those in bulk or the Costco.com. You'd buy those in bulk. Well, now all of a sudden I have to reevaluate if I can't get people to buy the bulk because that's what they're used to. All the rules have changed. And so what folks are doing is they're reevaluating their product, their pricing, their messaging, distribution, not knowing uh, when are we going to get back to the new normal, right? Can we even call it the new normal yet? Are we out of the woods? And depending on who you talk to, no shortage of contrary point of views there, Howard. Yes, yes. Very, very interesting stuff. Well, I, I think what you're doing is really exciting and unique. I don't know anyone who's doing quite, obviously there are other companies that do surveys and gather data, but I don't know anyone that's doing what you're doing in this space around customer love. So I'm really excited that you're there. If folks in the audience want to learn more about your platform, what are the best steps for them to go through? Yeah, they can go to barra.ai as our website, or if they're in charge of a brand and they want to see what's the baseline, how are they doing in their scores today, even on purpose, they could go to brandpurposescores.com. We're happy to share where they currently are, where they've been in the last seven years, and happy to help folks get to love and sustain it. Wow. So you can look up any brand on brandpurposescores.com and find out the seven-year history of how the, just the purpose why. Not any brand, but there's 4,000 out of 200 sectors to play with. The number of sectors keeps growing. Wow. We cover, we cover about 75% of a category based on market share to begin with in the syndication of what we do. And then if we're not in there, it's very easy within a week to add in new brands. That's fantastic. Well, I'm going to check that out. We'll put those URLs in the show notes for everybody. Ryan, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Really appreciate your being here today. And thanks to all of you for listening or if you're watching on YouTube or for watching. Look forward to seeing you all next time on the show. Keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.